You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And Frank, we're about to do something that I I know better than. I know better than asking for mailbag questions, which which we did last night, and then which we did again on Twitter. And shout out to all of you that actually tweeted those at Locked on Bucks and followed that. And really, it's just for your benefit because... It's going to get you the podcast quicker because if you just follow Frank or I, well, sometimes we forget to tweet about it. <laughs> um, so if you're not subscribed, you can do that. Or if you actually follow Locked on Bucks, you'll get that right away. So uh, good on you for doing that. But every time we do a mailbag, it's always like, you know what? We're going to try to do it quick. We're going to try to move from question <laughs> to question. Uh, and you're like, well, you know. This is probably going to end up being two days. So I, I, yeah. I'll i start here by saying this is probably going to be our Tuesday podcast, and then you're also going to hear something very similar on Wednesday. Um, so just be ready for that. But I'm telling you with the list of questions that we have, if we get this done in two days, Frank, I'm going to be really impressed. Yeah, we're going to – I mean, it's going to be 2018 by the time we're done with these probably. So um, we'll <laughs> – We'll see. We'll see how quickly we can go because we need to get these up and to you, at least in a reasonable amount of time before all of our takes become stale and brittle and frail and uh, and no longer relevant. So, I've got I've got the list. I've broken it out into different groups. Thanks to everybody for for tweeting questions at us. We're gonna try to get through the vast majority of these, um, and we're gonna bunch you know ones that are similar together. Um, but I always like to you know make sure everybody gets a shout out who who tweets. So. Hopefully I'll catch people, and if you tweet questions at us after right now when we've started this, then apologies because we'll probably skip over. But um, <clears throat> I've got a section that I've des- I've described as tactics. Okay. So we'll just we'll just dive right into the X's and O's. No no particular reason here, but we'll kind of get into some of the weeds, and then we'll kind of zoom out a little bit as we go. So we've got tactics. We've got questions about shockingly question uh, coaching. No, shockingly people what? have questions about coaching. Um. I've got my hashtag squad goals uh, section <laughs> okay. uh, about where the Bucks are relative to the rest of the league now and in the future. Um, so we've got that part. Um, and we've got like a lot of roster-related questions, potential moves. By the way, I, I don't have a question here from our, our guy CJ Robinson, but he's like asked like multiple times on Twitter uh, in the past few weeks about which, which big man we would want to sign. So I feel like we need to make sure we address that somewhere in, uh, in, in here as well. So anyway, hopefully we'll get to that. But, um, and then we've got, um, let's see, what else do we have? We have, I have just a, a few questions that are just Giannis, just Giannis, you know, uh, and then a couple of random ones at the end that I could not figure out a, a place to put anywhere else. So we'll see how far <laughs> we get tonight with, with the first part one. But, um, I figured we'd start with tactics. And the first question from, uh, our friend of the pod, uh, Redditor, uh, Joe Osterndorf, who writes, what are your favorite things you've seen the Bucks do slash plays they've run slash stuff that stuff like that to use Bledsoe? What do you think the Bucks need to do to take the next step offensively? And I'll let you kind of handle most of this. I think, you know, to recap, I think we usually talk a fair bit about the lack of kind of backside action um, that the Bucks have, that it tends to, you know, be pretty slow because it tends to be, all right, how do we run, you know, something on the strong side, a corner series? How do we run up? you know, pick and roll to get the ball to Giannis, things like that. And on the other side, there's, you know, guys are kind of standing around waiting to space out. Um, I would say the only the other kind of small things, you're more of an X's and O's guy. So I'll let, I'll, I'll give you a chance to kind of speak more intelligently about this. Um, but like one thing I, I wish we'd see more of is, and when we talk about the Bucks running, I don't know if the Bucks necessarily need to get shots up quickly in co- kind of their regular half court sets, because again, Giannis is the guy you want to get the ball to and he tends to need at least a little bit of work to get a shot because you can't just 
drive to the rim in the first five seconds if it's not a fast break. But um, but it would be nice if guys if guys kind of learn to run more with Giannis and Bledsoe and sort of spot up and and secondary break stuff because I feel like that's something the Bucks don't do a lot of. We see Chris Middleton and Snell do that occasionally, but um, it just seems like you know even watching a team like the Sixers with Ben Simmons like. You know, granted, Giannis should just try to dunk and attack the rim whenever he's on the break. But um, it'd be nice if it seemed like more of a thing to try to get shots that are good from three early in the clock. And it seems like a lot of times the Bucks, if they're not just an all-out fast break, they they just don't do that. They just look for all right. Let's set up our offense and kind of grind out. So I'll start with that, and then you can maybe talk a bit more intelligently than I can because you're just more in tune with actual basketball stuff than I am. But that's my little two cents there. Um, I like the secondary break stuff. It, it's something that I don't know how good of a coach I had in college. I think he had plenty of flaws. But if there's one thing that he was very good at coaching, it was secondary break action. And what we mean by that is you're going to have a guy like Giannis, you're going to have a guy like Bledsoe dribble up the floor, and that's great. And you're going to try to take advantage of a two-on-one, a three-on-two, whatever it may be. But there should be a quick... And essentially thoughtless. Like it should just be a subconscious transition into more action. And when you read about some of the great stuff that Mike D'Antoni, Mike D'Antoni does, some of the great stuff that he was already doing with the Suns, the thing that the Suns kind of, I guess, really that Suns team pushed into the typical basketball conventions was okay, you're going to run that fast break. And then either Steve Nash was going to dribble underneath the rim and come back on the other side, and that was immediately going to be a pick and roll with Amari Stoudemire, with Sean Marion, with whoever it may be. Or he wasn't going to dribble all the way in. He was going to stay at the three-point line, and immediately you were getting hit with a pick and roll screen. So they were right into their action. And if there's one thing that the Bucks don't do, you mentioned, well, sometimes they get a trail three, and yeah, that's kind of secondary break action, but that's only going to be open on the secondary break if they forget about Chris Middleton or are so um, so focused on stopping Giannis and Blood so that they don't really get themselves back out to it. So um, secondary break stuff I think would be huge. I think that would be great. Um, weak side action, like you said, the Bucks don't really have a lot of it. In the last week, there's been a little bit more of it. Uh, the other night they ran... A couple black backside flares for Middleton. I think it was off of Giannis or a Bledsoe Giannis pick and roll. I can't a hundred percent remember, but essentially Middleton was on the top of the floor. Henson snuck in behind him. They set a screen form for a flare screen for open three on the right wing, and Bledsoe skipped one over the top to him. Um, so that backside action, I think, is really big. And uh, to answer the greater question of what do you think the Bucks need to do to take the next step offensively? Um, I think modern offenses try to create mismatches, and that's exactly what the Bucks do. They they try to create mismatches, and that's great. But instead of creating a mismatch and then going to that mismatch, modern offenses just keep creating mismatches. You keep trying to put the pressure on teams, and when you think about the Warriors, it's one mismatch and the ball moves a little bit more and then it's another mismatch and then it's another mismatch and it just keeps moving. So you don't necessarily find that mismatch and then say dribble over to the left wing, find Giannis in the post and take six to eight seconds to get him that ball and get him that chance to take advantage of that mismatch. You just keep running your offense and you keep flowing through stuff and those opportunities are going to keep presenting themselves as you do all of that. So I think largely for this team to start looking like a modern offense, it's to create mismatches more regularly and not just focus on creating a singular mismatch and then stopping, if that makes any sense. Like, the Bucks do a good job creating those mismatches by having small screen for Giannis, um, by getting Chris Middleton on some off-wall action and then post him up. Like, that's fine, but you want to keep creating those, and you don't want to all of a sudden become stagnant once you do create that. So I think that's the big thing for uh, the team to take the next step offensively. And we say next step offensively, but that starting lineup scores a shit ton. <laughs> as is like, they score the ball really well so um i think there is more to be done and uh, you can make that offense more dangerous but they do 
perform at, at a pretty high level uh, with Giannis on the floor. He may have to work pretty hard for it right now, and um, it may be just kind of based on his individual brilliance. Um, but they do a pretty nice job offensively. Now, stuff that they run for Bledsoe that I like, um, I wrote about it the other week in my Giannis gravity piece. I think they do a nice job in those Bledsoe, Giannis pick and rolls. I think that's just a great look, period, because Giannis has gotten so much better as a role man, and Bledsoe is such a such a problem off the dribble. Um, the play is one that I've circled where they start to run some of the baseline action for Middleton where he can curl off stuff while Bledsoe's in other action. Um, and I'm trying to think, other than that, for Bledsoe, I mean, I think Bledsoe's a pretty basic guy uh, to try to run stuff for it because he can't really shoot. So it's essentially putting him on the ball and making it him a threat in those ways. And obviously there's a lot of pick and roll action there. So um, is, if there's something else you like, you can hop in there with Bledsoe. But um, Bledsoe, I, I think, is kind of a, a guy where you're not going to see a ton of creative action ran for him because, well, he doesn't have that, that shooting skill um, that can really get him something very creative. He's shooting 39% from three over the last uh, five games. That's just an arbitrary sample. I'm just looking at his ESPN player page on almost six attempts per game. So we're starting to see him kind of mean revert a little bit. He's at, you know, still just 31% for the season. But I think we're seeing, you know, again, I mean, he, he has the talent to be better than that. Uh, and hopefully that kind of bears itself out. But, but yeah, I mean, you're not run a run really plays to get Eric Bledsoe, you know, three point shots per se. And I kind of wonder, you know, the Bucks sort of the simplicity of what the Bucks do offensively. Um, a lot of that might be helping them right now just because, again, Bledsoe's new to the system. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's like with, with a guy like Giannis, um, you know, you don't need a million different ways to get him the ball in order, in order to kind of have him be successful. Um, a lot of it is, you know, can you get him, as you said, like, can you get him mismatches? Yeah, that's great. But, I mean, he doesn't really – everybody's a mismatch basically for Giannis at this point. Yep. Um, and so a lot of it is – um, you know, putting him in situations where he gets the ball. To me, it's it's, it's not just getting him the ball in mismatches, but getting the ball quickly. Um, and so that's kind of one thing I think the Bucks sometimes struggle in. You know that they they go into sort of like you know sort of more of that like corner series or or um, you know high post look. And you know if teams are really aggressive trying to deny the ball, um, sometimes it just their play becomes a little less direct and um, you know, but it, but it's hard because you also don't want to just fall in that trap of just giving the ball and, and then ISOing and everybody just standing around and watching. Cause I think that's something that obviously, you know, kind of goes hand in hand with the, the lack of sort of backside stuff is that, you know, you, you want guy, you want three point shooters out there and then you want them to be spotting up for threes. Well, how do you do that without just losing all, you know, just becoming too static. Right. Um, you know, you don't want Tony Snell, running into spots where he can't do anything um, with the basketball or where, you know, he's going to be put into a difficult shot to hit like a, a you know, a, not a layup and not a three pointer. So there, there's always sort of little tensions there, but absolutely there, there's things that, you know, the bucks can certainly do better there. And, and we'll just see, I mean, as they gain familiarity with one another, is that, does that improve? Cause um, I mean, even in the, like I said, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen them start to do more of those things like that flare action that we saw from Middleton. That isn't something we've, We've really ever seen before um so th- they are throwing some more of that in there but you, you have to see how consistent it will be and how much they actually throw in there yeah and i think if the idea is to get mismatches for chris middleton those are a lot less interesting to me just because those are always going to yep. turn into just jump shots um so unless anyway, the mismatch um, is getting him an open three then i'm really cool with that. yes like, like the mismatch is no one covering him at the three point <clears throat> i'm down with that right um two questions i'll put together uh galagoon uh asks, will the newly implemented defensive scheme benefit Jabari Parker when he returns? And then uh, Baby Wipes at KG Steeler uh, asks, not saying he'd be a good defender, but how can we know what Jabari is as a defender with Kidd as coach? So these are kind of related. Um, I mean, I'll just say this, like, you know, I don't, I think for as much as the Bucks defense obviously has not brought out the best in them as a unit, I think we know enough and have seen enough Jabari Parker to know that, you know, he's a guy that you have to hide systematically and, uh, and schematically. And, um, I don't think, you know, he'd be a good defender in any system or necessarily with any coaching. Um, I, I think probably any scheme that K 
keeps things simple for him is probably better. Like I think a scheme where he's just switching everything would probably be very much better. Um, I think a system where he's got to like make any type of choice, whether it's a hard hedge and recover or even like zone drop would probably be more difficult for him just because he's got to kind of make decisions and at times like stunt and hedge between multiple players. And I think that's probably just not good for a guy like Jabari. So I think the more, the, the switchier you are with Jabari, I think that probably makes things easier for him. Um, because if he's has shown any sort of strength, it's that when he's on the ball, he seems more engaged. And when he's off the ball, he loses complete sense of what's going on and, and kind of falls asleep. So that, that would be my Jones. I don't know. What do you think is, is, is that is, maybe part of what can make Jabari better and is there any reason to think that he would be you know a demonstrably better defender with with someone other than the current coaching staff um I would start by saying switching is still hard it is still mentally challenging it is still something that you have to have a deep understanding of the scheme it's I think it's pretty rare that you will switch everything like there are certainly some teams that will do something like that, but there's always going to be times where you're deciding, okay, I have the three right now. This is a three and five screen. Do I do I switch that? Do I not switch that? Do I go under? Do I go over? Am I supposed to be in the middle of the floor here helping? Am I supposed to be on this guy? Like You still have to make all of those mental decisions, and... Thus far, we haven't seen Jabari really have the capability to do that. And again, he, he very well might. Maybe with this, he, he isn't needing to run quite as far. He's not needing to cover as much ground. Maybe that helps in that regard. But I still think he has to make a lot of... I mean, you have to make a lot of reads. NBA defense is very difficult because we talk about how good teams are offensively. Um, they're going to put you in in precarious positions, and you're going to have to figure out how to get through it. And, and to me, that's always been the big thing with Jabari. Like, it's not an effort thing. Like, he tries very hard, and maybe to his detriment at times, too hard. He's trying too hard to make plays defensively and really do a great job. So maybe this can help dampen that a little bit in that, okay, I don't need to sprint from one corner to the middle of the floor, then all over the place. Um, And maybe that can help him cut down on some of those trying too hard mistakes. But at the same time, I I would need to see him start making defensive reads more consistently for me to believe that he will be, and again, not even a good defender, like just a, a, a fine defender, not an actively not hurting you defender like there, there's a long way to go um so may, maybe the scheme will help but i don't think there's any way for us to know that until we actually see him start playing defense yeah i mean i think we've talked about this before i think we disagree a little bit just on jabari's effort level i i think jabari probably thinks he tries hard and there's a lot of times especially if he's on the ball i think he tries hard but like i think he's also got some fake hustle in him i i don't i, I don't know I, I don't i don't think he would be as like for instance piss poor rebounder if he like was and, and granted, I mean like Thon Maker tries really hard all the time and he's a bad rebounder. So I know I know this isn't like a pure you know, like a yeah. perfect um way to judge it, but I, I I think it comes and goes a little bit too much with Jabari, and I'm not sure how conscious it is. I don't think it's necessarily just like outright laziness, but um but yeah, I mean it's tough. I mean, I mean I, and I think it's probably just like focusing on other things. Like I would yeah. rather get up the floor on this fast break than stay back and rebound. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I would probably agree with you there a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, next question from Zach Brown, uh, at Zach underscore Faden. I'm just going to say both your display name and your your, your handle, <laughs> by the way, just because some of these, uh, I, they're kind of jokes with the display name. So I, I'm, I'm, I got to go with, with the, the regular name a little bit. But anyway, Zach asks, Middleton seems to act as the primary playmaker with the bench mob. Should Kidd instead stagger the rotation such that it is one of the more dynamic playmakers, Bledsoe or Giannis, playing with the bench units? And I would start by just saying I agree in principle. We, I think we talked about this recently. Yep. I like the idea of actually – I think for initially there was this, this sense of I think Bledsoe was playing more with Giannis in part because of the whole pick and roll stuff between the two of them. But – I, I will say this. I actually like the, in principle, the idea of putting 
Bledsoe out there with Chris just because, I mean, to the point of that Zach made about you know, Chris being a playmaker with the bench mob, I don't think that's really putting Chris in the best spot. I know he can do some of that, but I actually kind of like the idea more of Bledsoe being the primary playmaker with Chris playing off of him versus, you know, assuming that only one of Giannis and Chris are on the court. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's something to that. Um, you know, again, whether, and, and I'm, I'm just pulling up some of the data here. I mean, Chris and Giannis together this season um, have played 661 minutes together. And, I mean, they've been great together. I mean, they're, they're plus 10.5 um, together. Um, and just to give some additional context on that, Giannis and Brogdon are only plus 3.5 together. Um, and Giannis and Bledsoe are plus 14 together. Um, so there, there's, you know, again, the, the, certainly the data with, with Bledsoe has been really good. Um, but Bledsoe and Middleton are also plus 11.7 together. So pretty much Bledsoe with any of these starters has looked great just because the team's played at a high level with them. Um, but I agree in principle. I like the idea of, of maybe playing Bledsoe and Middleton together a little bit more. Yeah. And I mean, I don't even, I think that also you're going to help out your fourth playmaker as well. Like you're going to help out Brogdon too. If you do that, because right now Middleton and Brogdon, I think are are in many ways very similar. Like they're both guys that can play make. I don't know if you want them as primary playmakers. They're both guys that can shoot the basketball. Uh, they're both guys that really understand the game at a high level and uh, have that IQ. Um, so I, I would agree with it with just kind of the idea of putting one of the more dynamic playmakers. Uh, with somebody else like put Giannis and Brogdon together put uh Bledsoe and Middleton together and then you have that that primary playmaker that you find to be pretty truly dynamic and I I think that could really help out quite a bit um and like you said I I think we've talked about that a a little bit before um but I, I would I would agree with the idea in principle obviously these are all things that um always kind of sound good, but then you need to actually see how it works out. Um, so it's just a matter of testing some of those things, but yeah, I would like to see some more, uh, experimentation with that. Yeah. And one of the lineup, maybe the, the, the lineup that has worked the worst or the two man pairing that has worked the worst, um, where, you know, you're, you're using actually two very good players together, Bledsoe and Brogdon together since Bledsoe arrived. They're minus 6.2, just 99 points per 100, which is very bad offensively. So, and again, you know, the sample is still pretty small. It's 190 minutes, but, um, you know, interesting and, you know, obviously not encouraging because you'd like to see all these combinations work really well. But interesting that Bledsoe and Brogdon together have not worked well. And I guess if you were going to pick guys not to work well, you'd probably pick those guys because they're the two, you know, point guards that you want to get the most minutes to. But certainly something to bear in mind is we kind of think about like, all right, you know, is the Bucks' best lineup one that involves both Brogdon uh, and Eric Bledsoe? At least so far, uh, we haven't necessarily seen those two guys play at a high level together, but obviously you hope that kind of gets figured out a bit more as we go. Um, Chris Lero asks, um, is there any analytic rationale for the degree to which Bucks the Bucks almost never attempt offensive rebounds, whether inside the three line or not? If that is their quote unquote scheme, why is Thon now trying to rebound? And I think the other day, you know, you mentioned that probably the biggest upside of Thon not being spotting up for threes is that he at least can occasionally try to crash the offensive boards. Not that he's been great at that at any point, um, but I actually think this is a really interesting question, I, and I forget where I heard it, but. I think it may have been, I don't know if it was Kevin Pelton. It was somebody smart, and they, <laughs> they, 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 they raised the idea that, that have teams basically, um, I don't think it was Pelton, it was somebody else. Somebody smart, though, who, whose opinion I respect, raised the, the idea of um, teams like taking the whole let's just get back on defense uh, thing to an extreme, and, and you know, some team, I mean, teams should, there, there should be some teams that would be interesting to watch to see if they go the other direction and, and maybe crash the boards a little bit more than they normally do. Um, so I, I think it's an interesting question um, that, again, I'd be, I'd be curious. I don't know that just, you know, bringing, sending guys back on defense is necessarily like the best strategy. I think, you know, you can say for the Bucks that certainly offensively, they're still a good offense, even without having offensive rebounding. 
they could be even better if they got some more reloads. Um, but obviously, I think probably defensively, this team is is so cognizant of of their struggles that you know they probably feel like, man, we don't want to risk you know exposing ourselves even further by by not getting back. So I think it's a tough question, but I think there's absolutely a possibility there that um, you know being a bit more aggressive on the offensive boards and, and it's not like everybody needs to be crashing the glass or something, but um, you know, somebody like Giannis or, or Thon, you know, could they go and look for offensive rebounds a bit more than they do? Yeah. And I mean that the idea is kind of always the trade off, right? That if you're going to go for offense rebounds, that means you're probably going to be a little bit worse in transition. And I think, I think where it com- becomes even more interesting is if you see the defense become a little bit better and you see the defense uh, be a little bit more under control and maybe control some of the other things that they've struggled at, if they can control some of the rim shooting, if they can control some of the, the corner threes and stuff stuff like that to an even greater extent than they have improved in that aspect thus far. If they can do those things, well, then maybe you can you can take a chance of, of giving up some points in transition. And I'd also be very curious uh, to see, I know... The Bucks don't allow much of anything in transition right now. They really limit teams' transition points, which, uh, I mean, makes sense, theoretically. Like, if you're not going to crash the glass, you better be damn good in transition, and they are. Um, but I'm curious what their defenders could do in transition. Because uh, I look at a guy like Eric Bledsoe with his strength, with his length, and his speed. I feel like he can be, I don't want to say destructive, but certainly be able to prevent a, a lot of easy baskets as he gets back in transition by himself. Um, Giannis, same thing. Um, maybe not Chris or Tony Snell, but both those guys have length and they can kind of make some of those things hard. So, um, And sometimes strange people are good at transition defense, like Jeff Green, or excuse me, not Jeff Green, Danny Green is fantastic in transition. Jeff Green, I don't think, is, has ever played transition defense. Um, but <laughs> Danny Green, was he's fantastic at it. So um, I would be very curious to get to see some of that again. And again, what we're talking about here is experimentation and figuring out new things and uh what style would would perform the best and uh obviously you have to play with some of those things right and i'm curious if at some point it starts to to get with that with this bucks team because i think they're particularly interesting case about thinking about going for more offensive rebounds because they are so long they don't have a ton of great shooting out on the floor um so if you're going to be inside the three-point line as much as they are offensively as is, why not give it a shot? Yeah, we'll, we'll see if, if that number does regress a little bit to a more normal number because they have been so far down the rankings for, for the first part of the season that it seems like you'd almost probably start to rebound a little bit better just almost by accident. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Giannis is so good getting back. I mean, he, there, there may not be another guy whose physical tools – intimidate a a uh, an opponent more than Giannis does on breaks yeah. I mean, we've seen that where guys just peel back just because i mean nobody really wants a piece of Giannis. No. um and so on the one hand you might say well Giannis should be the one guy getting getting back because he can deter a fast break by himself um or you could argue that he's so good at kind of recovering and getting back that maybe he can you know, kind of have it both ways a little bit. Um, but again, it's also kind of a question of energy too, where, you know, do you want Giannis expending a bunch of energy trying to crash the glass? Do you want him just kind of jogging back and, and playing free safety and, and transition more? You know, what do you do? So um, anyway, um, interesting question. And unfortunately, I don't know if we have a great answer, but I think it is a good question. And I don't, I, th- I think sometimes we fall into sort of this dogmatic view of like, oh, well, the Bucks don't go for offensive rebounds. So that's why they're bad at it. And, you know, we don't, <laughs> no. we don't always question, well, Maybe, Maybe they should have. do more of that, you know, yeah. like especially a guy like Thon. Like, can you go have him try to to to, to maybe be the one guy who goes and, and really tries to crash the boards a little bit? So good question, Chris. Thanks. Um, let's go to the coaching section. Always a favorite. Nothing more enjoyable than talking about the Milwaukee Bucks coaching situation. <laughs> um, Brooke Meyer asks, odds of the Bucks pulling a Mark Jackson at the end of the season, i.e. dumping kid for Fisdale edit for advancing to the second round. Um I will say this. I think if the Bucks don't make the second round, I would imagine there is a very strong likelihood that they will have a new coach next season. Yep. I think if they go to the second round, I think the odds of that probably become a lot lower. Um, and again, I'm not saying that there's anything 
magical about going to the second round other than the fact that, I mean, obviously in Milwaukee, we have not seen a team go to the second round in what, 15, 16 years. Uh, So there's an insane, you know, NBA worst drought right now in terms of making to the second round where, you know, again, even if this team, I mean, who knows, right? Maybe at that point, maybe you can have bigger ambitions than going just to the second round, right? I mean, if you can finish as a top four seed, obviously you would hope that you have a fighting chance of making it to the East finals. And I think, you know, again, I think there's just a lot that, that we have to see how this season goes. And again, I'm not saying that, that I believe, you know, Jason Kidd is the guy to, you know, if he wins 45 games and they go to the second round that therefore Jason Kidd has proven he's the coach for this team. I think, you know, until further notice, like, I mean, again, I'll say what, what we have said. I mean, if, if you have legitimate championship ambitions for this team, you want to have a great coach. What have we seen that would suggest Jason Kidd is a great coach? I don't I don't think we've seen anywhere near enough. So, um, again, if he can go out and win 50 games and make it past the first round of the playoffs, then, you know, I mean, obviously we can say that that's mainly the roster, whatever. But um, but I think certainly at that point it becomes a lot harder to expect the you know management to make a move because, I mean, the whole reason he's the head coach in the first place is because management hasn't wanted to make a move thus far. And, um, again, that doesn't mean that, you know, they should sit on their laurels, but um, there's always inertia with coaches generally. And the fact that he's owed, you know, another $12 million over the next two years, that's a lot of inertia. Um, yeah, I think I think the odds of the Bucks doing that um, have decreased in the last couple of weeks. Um, not because of adding Eric Bledsoe, but because of, um, a willingness to make some schematic changes, which we haven't, we, we hadn't seen for the first three and a half years of, or excuse me, three and a quarter years of Jason Kidd's tenure in Milwaukee. Like that just wasn't something, uh, that we had seen. So if there is some flexibility and, um, kind of the schematic stuff and, uh, making some things, uh, work a little bit differently, like if there is some more flexibility there, I I think the chances of him keeping his job go up a little bit. Um, but yeah, the, I don't, I don't think you can say all of the things that the Bucks said, during the preseason, and again, obviously this is a much different roster now, there are different players, but before getting Bledsoe, no one was scared to talk about 50 wins, and that's not a team, there's a lot of teams that talk about making the playoffs and having a good season, but not a lot of teams talk about 50 wins, and guys were willing to talk about that before the season, and they were talking about winning a playoff series and doing all that, so um, I think, like you said, it's, it's a really good chance if they don't win a playoff series if they do win a playoff series though man i think it i think it becomes a lot more difficult and uh, i don't know if this ownership group like you said you have two years left on that contract you have a brand new arena next season um there there's certainly a line of thought that would say okay you have a new you have a new arena get an exciting new coach and have him lead you into that new era of Milwaukee Bucks basketball. But there would also be the people that said, okay, well, you have a brand name in Jason Kidd. It's a brand name maybe among uh, diehard fans that is not a very good brand name at this moment. But among the more casual fans, that's a brand name. That's a guy everyone knows. That's a guy that you can have some star power going into uh, your new arena. So I I could see ownership not not wanting to get rid of that um, and not wanting to make a move like that uh, if they win a playoff series for the first time in 15 years. So um, I would say I I think it's low if they win a first-round series. And I know that's what Brock was asking about, about specifically doing a Mark Jackson at the end of the season, dumping kid for a new coach after advancing to the second round. And with with the long drought that they've had, I think it'd be I think it'd be tough for this ownership group to do. Um, I think maybe both of us might be open to it, but I don't know if ownership, after having what most would probably deem a, a successful season, um, being able to do that, uh, or I should, I should say most within the organization would deem a successful season. Like I, I think it'd be really difficult for them to pull the trigger on that. And I think a lot more of this comes down to John Horst than maybe we and others typically um, acknowledge. Um, and, and again, I mean, I just feel like John Horst 
is probably not looking to clean house in the coaching staff if he can talk himself into being patient. Um, And I think that's because he's a young GM who doesn't want to do anything that would be deemed as rash or, you know, be considered, you know, whatever, upsetting the apple cart. And again, I mean, in terms of brand names, I mean, Jason Kidd in Milwaukee, especially to hardcore fans, is more like, you know, Comcast as a brand name or, um, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, Philip Morris or something. I I don't, (laughs) I mean, it's a brand name, but I don't know if it has a good Q score at this point. Um, among, among hardcore fans, among hardcore fans. And that's the, that's the funny part too, is I really don't, I I would be fascinated to know among like Bucks season ticket holders, like how, you know, what is the perception of kid there? Cause, cause I, you know, we are a little bit in our bubble where, you know, I mean, out of the questions we got tonight, a sizable chunk were from people with fire kid avatars. Correct. You know, I mean, this is not like some random, you know, Oh, there's like a couple like loud voices on Twitter. It's tons of people, you know, if you, every time there's a Twitter poll about kid, you know, among, you know, bucks, bucks, hardcores, um, there's no question how it's going to work out. So, so yeah, it's an interesting question. And again, it kind of gets, I think to, you know, how, how willing are teams to, um, make changes to try to go for something bigger, even if you know they maybe got a little success. I mean, you know, the Wizards, um, <laughs> the Wizards gave Randy Whitman another year because they went to what the second round of the playoffs mm-hmm. a few years ago, and I think they even gave him a new contract. Um, so, you know, that stuff happens, and I think now obviously they look back and say, well, that was a mistake, um, just because they, you know, the the blind squirrel found found a nut, and you know, I think certainly with with the changes made, I mean it's so bizarre with kid because it's like you know it's taken so long for changes to happen and the coach you know he's been so unwilling to admit that he even made any changes it's so Mm. bizarre um that it's kind of hard to like give him a lot of credit for that but obviously ultimately coaches are you know tend to be judged on wins and if they win a lot more games this year and they make you know win a playoff series or two um then it i think again the people that hired him are going to have a you know are much less likely to fire him. So how anyway. how often do you think about about our audience, Frank? Because I, obviously this is going to be a very Steve Von Horn topic, and it's one that mm. him and I have talked about in the past. Um, is because I, I look at the questions that we get, I look at the the tweets I get from people following me on Twitter, and like you said. I see plenty of fire kid avatars. Like those are all over the place. And uh, on a nightly basis, I get, I get tweets from people complaining about Jason Kidd. But as I think about it, like I only have, I don't know, 4,000 followers on Twitter. You only have 15,000. I don't even know what your number is, but like, that's not the entirety of the Bucks fan base. That's a very small portion of the Bucks fan base. So for the people that we're talking to on a daily basis, they understand um, kind of, or I, I shouldn't even say understand it. They complain about these things and they're very concerned about those things, but would a, a random 50 year old 20 year season ticket holder would that doesn't listen to our podcast. Is he thinking those same things about Jason Kidd? Like I can't imagine he is like, he's probably He's probably still thinking that, oh, it's nice that they have a, a guy that I know. They have a Hall of Famer, or I should say a future Hall of Famer at, at coach. Like, this is this is really nice for Milwaukee. We've never had a guy like that before. Um, and I, I don't know. I just always, I from time to time, I find myself thinking when I am inundated with as much uh, negativity about Jason Kidd as I am, that I certainly understand how diehards feel, but... I don't know if I have any idea how a, a casual Bucks fan feels about this team, their players, the coach. Like, I have no idea. Well, I, I will say this though. I think I think the casual fans were very put off by the way Kid arrives. Right? Agreed. I think totally agree. There was there was a lot of negativity around him, and there was certainly not the same warm fuzzy feeling you normally get with a new coach um, when he arrived. And I think that was very palpable among both hardcore and casual fans. So yeah. again, I don't know how much of that is residual at this point. Um, and, and also, I mean, his general style, his kind of aloofness um, is not really like the kind of thing that like 
wins over casual fans either. Like, I mean, from a personality standpoint, and, and again, you don't need your coach to be, you know, an amazing interviewee to have a good coach, right? Like that's, that's sort of a side thing. Um, but I think that certainly probably doesn't make people like feel more excited about him. You know, the fact that he doesn't really, you know, get fired up and stand up for players on the sideline, like stuff that like anybody kind of see, like he, he, that, that's not really, he's pretty vanilla, you know, he seems mm-hmm. kind of reserved and whatever. So but I think would that turn people of, off? I, I think, well, I don't think it's going to make people excited about him, you know? Um, yeah. So I think that's that's interesting. And I think one of the other kind of interesting data points, which doesn't necessarily reflect, you know, the broader views of Bucks, Bucks fans, but I think it's interesting, you know, certainly over the last month, I think there has been a clear turning point where observers of the NBA, like people in the media, people that we follow, smart basketball people, not just Bucks fans, but you know, the people whose podcasts we listen to, you know, the Danny LaRue and the Nate Duncans of the world, um, there, there's a clear tide turning, and, and not that it happened in the last month. I mean, there's, I think, been a lot of kid skepticism for a while, but I think that's but now. But aren't those NBA of, nerds again? Well, they are, but they're not just like Bucks, like, they're not just like kid hating Bucks fans, right? But like, do you think a casual Bucks fan is listening to Dunk Dunk? No, I don't think so. I'm just, I'm just saying there's like, I'm, this is just, I think, just like another. Oh, okay. Sorry. My another, bad. Po- yeah, no, 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 I wasn't clear about it. Another kind of population out there which I think is relevant to us and to, I think, our audience, right, is as we try to help you guys think through how to think about this stuff and yeah. what could happen and should happen. And, you know, if you don't, if you're, you know, tired of the Fire Kid stuff on Twitter, um, I mean, I think it is relevant that people that whose basketball opinions we respect who are not in kind of our little Bucks um, Petri dish, Bucks fandom Petri dish, yeah. where, you know, obviously we 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 hear ourselves kind of just in this echo chamber a lot of time people who are outside of that i think have you know kind of picked up especially with the bucks now with Giannis and everything like that i mean people are watching more bucks games if you're not a bucks fan you watch more bucks games you you know see things that confuse you about the way jason kidd does things whether it's you know like the fouling up four and stuff like that i mean a lot of these things that maybe previously would have kind of just festered within kind of the the bucks fan base among hardcore fans now I think has more is more visible and, and people now are sort of holding the Bucks as a franchise to a higher standard as well because the Bucks are now the keepers of one of, if not the like kind of premier young talent in this league. And, you know, nobody wants to see that guy wasted because we've seen so many of these, you know, whether it was Anthony Davis, whether it was the first time around LeBron in Cleveland um, years, people hate it when great young talents get wasted um, with franchises that don't nurture them or don't give them, you know, enough talent. So I think there is a lot, there is, you know, sort of this interesting sensitivity uh, around that sort of even among casual fans. But anyway, um, I have another question here, um, which, which really only you can answer. So we, we've kind of, you know, talked about a bunch of this stuff. Um, And E. Conniption asks, is it as difficult to deal with Jason Kidd in pre and post game press conferences as it seems to us in hashtag Bucks Twitter? Eric, I am thankful that I do not have to go and interview players and coaches before and after games. You are not so lucky. Um, you are the only person capable of answering this. So how would you respond to to that? It is it is your media availability. You're you're in front of our Twitter audience. They've put the microphone in front of you. Is it as difficult to deal with Jason Kidd in pre and post game as it seems to us? <clears throat> well, understanding when when you're a reporter, you, you're trying to you're trying to go out there and be a reporter and ask questions at, at a very high level. And you know we're we're a young group of journalists right now, and we're trying to be more consistent, but it, it's a process and. Uh, we understand that it's it's gonna take it's gonna take some time. Um, understanding to improve, we uh, we just have to have better energy and effort. That's <laughs> that's something we can control, and uh, we have to do a better job of doing that uh, at a very high level uh, on a, on a more consistent basis. <laughs> you and Matt Velasquez just need to give better hashtag energy and effort. I think that's the I think that's what it comes down to. That might get it? it done. Yeah. Maybe maybe you'd get better answers if you guys gave better energy and effort. Um, 
we'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, Muppet Babies, 31, tremendous uh, handle on Twitter at the Spangover, um, asks, can we get some investigative reporting on the number of days left of, quote, start Peyton, play him four minutes, then sit the rest of the game, end quote. Um, I, will tell, I, will, I will say this. Matt and I are hammering away at that one. I can tell you for the last, like, that wasn't sarcastic. That came off very sarcastic. But we we literally have been trying to figure that one out for, I'm going to say, the last three weeks. Uh, every time I see Matt, we try to put together more clues. Um, and we've gone through his calendar and my calendar. And we've gone through the audio that we've recorded. And we've tried to think back to the practices that we were at. And, um we we are really struggling because there is like there's no there's no date uh, like there's no counter in the Bucks practice facility that says Gary Payton has been here 33 days like like that thing doesn't exist and there's nothing um that NBA like NBA the NBA is requiring from teams like you don't have to make any of that information public so um we've just kind of attempted to figure out exactly where we are um in that process at this point and both men and I think we are and I hope that he doesn't mind me speaking for him but um I think we're pretty confident that it's over 35 at this point I don't know how much further it is than that um, but we feel pretty good about it being over 35. So I, I would say there's 10 ish days left. And we were talking that we actually thought it was kind of interesting because today GP two was at practice and then you're going to have GP two at practice tomorrow. I assume they took Sunday off after a back to back, um, and wouldn't have practiced then. So he's going to rack up Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday for the game. And then I, I don't know that we're any closer to Delhi coming back and him going back down to the G League team. So I think we're awfully close. And again, we don't have a we don't have a strict number. Um, and like I said, we've been trying since the start of the season to to keep an eye on that, but it's really difficult because we don't we don't actually get to go to practices. We get to come in after practices. So we can see guys who are shooting around, but then the question remains, well, the Bucks for the start of the G League season, the herd was in Milwaukee. So is there a day where GP2 is at the facility, um, but also some of his herd teammates are at the facility? Do those days count? How, how do you count all that? So um, I don't have a good answer for you. I don't know that anyone will have a good answer for you. Um, just know that we ha- have been trying to figure it out. Um, and I think we're getting close to the end of his two d- two-way days uh, here in Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, so training camp for the herd began October 23rd. So if you say there was, and then that's when kind of, the, I think that's when the clock starts so Correct. basically you get that first week for free essentially on the two-way contract in the nba and then once the g league season or camp opens then um the kind of 45 day clock starts so if it was you know seven days in october and 30 days in november and then you know we're we're at you know 10 days or so let what i guess we'll be on the 12th day into december so you know all told that's that's about yeah, forty nine days, and he's only played in three G League games all season. He's so. played more Bucks games than he's oh, started. By, by far. He started more Bucks games <laughs> yeah. than he's played G League games. Yeah. So um, again, he's got to be getting close. I mean, it, yeah. it would seem to be only only a kind of a matter of time before he hits that, and then at that point, the Bucks have to figure out: do they send him down and just have him play with the G League team the rest of the year, or do they convert him to a full full NBA deal? And keep in mind, they have to get rid of somebody if they're going to add him on an NBA deal. You can't sort of just keep him in that, you know, 16, 17 slot if he no longer is a two-way player because he's, he's you know, to, or at least to keep him with the NBA team. Um, so, and again, the other thing too is if you waive Gary Payton, you don't get another fresh 45 days from what I understand on another contract. So basically like that's, that's all you're going to get from, that two-way slot all year so you can't just wave Gary Payton the second once his 45 days are up and then sign another guy and get another 45 days it's I, my understanding is it all gets prorated so um so yeah it's it's strange that you know I mean I guess you could argue they're trying to figure out maybe what if Payton can help them and obviously I think our view is that not really um no you know 
having GP2 sit in the corner um, and occasionally make basket cuts, um, you know, that's not really helping the offense. And, you know, he makes enough mistakes defensively. I don't really think he helps the defense a whole lot either. I mean, we, we failed to mention the other night, you know, against Alec Burks where he just took a bad angle on Burks catching in the corner and Burks just drove past him baseline for a layup and yep. just stuff like that. Or he'll just go under screens and it just, I don't know. Okay. I mean, he's got defensive tools, no question, but as far as that translating into, Oh, he's a bad you know, defender. <laughs> well, if, if you're going to be diplomatic about it. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I think the, 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 the other piece of this is Tony Snell's availability. I mean, if Tony Snell is healthy and I think he's a starter again. Um, and Snell has not been practicing. I saw Matt Velasquez did write uh, an article today. Uh, Delhi sounds like he's the closest one to being back. He did participate in five on five. Um, that would probably be the, maybe the, the most direct way that GP two might be marginalized. Um, but I also, I don't know if, I mean, would kid throw Delhi into the starting five with Bledsoe if he's healthy again? Like, I, I feel like Delhi's probably going to keep coming off the bench cause that's going to be his role yeah. and kid likes to keep sort of the bench roles similar and and again um if that means randomly starting gp2 it seems like he you know rat would rather do that so um again sounds like delhi's the closest maybe a chance we see him later this week um but again tony snell i'm a little worried that he's still not practicing you know he's not practicing at all um because obviously he's been an important guy and that that starting five has been very good i would say Um, watching him today after practice he was still he was moving pretty gingerly okay there you go on the scene um, Baron Mashak asks the Bucks get three wins in a row and you guys still nitpick kid to death on distribution of minutes the guy can't win with you exclamation point I wanted to include this because we don't really get many people who talk about us being unfair to Jason Kidd it's normally people complaining that we're like you know if we Too ever if yeah if we ever say anything that doesn't blame him for something bad that <laughs> happens yeah. i feel like then we we get more of those than than the other way so i at least wanted to kind of mention this and mention baron's comment because um you know i, I mean this the, I, I think it's it's fair to say well what is the bar for jason kidd right and i kind of alluded to it earlier i think the bar has to be higher than you know play a more standard defensive scheme and you know step two question mark question mark question mark step three profit i think that you know if if that is you know again to me that's just sort of autopiloting a lot of sort of at least schematically what the bucks do um and i think obviously we'd like to get some sense that the coaching staff is actually not just sort of getting what they you know what they should get out of the players but also kind of taking it to some kind of next level so um Again, I mean, we'll see. I think the only way to see, to really get any sense that there's improvement there is to see that they continue to do what they have been doing as far as, you know, not playing the same type of of aggressive defense that gets them in trouble. Um, And then that they start to show the results that should come from that. And they win a lot of games and guys look good and the defense and offense are both good. You know, we talked about there really not being any reason to think that this team shouldn't be top 10 offensively and defensively just in terms of talent. And I think that's one of those things. I mean, if they're, you know, the seventh ranked offense and the eighth ranked defense at the end of the season, then for whatever Jason Kidd is, is whatever his shortcomings are, at least they're not turning into bad results. Right. Um, And I think that's obviously important to to kind of consider in this. I will say this too, as far as Baron's comment about the the minutes nitpicking. um, I I mean, I tried to acknowledge the other night, I think in our last podcast that um, like with all the injuries, I'm, I get that some guys are going to play more minutes at times. Um, I get that, you know, you're going to have to play some guys who are just not that good. Um, I, th- I think the one I struggle most with is, is again, Peyton kind of continuing to get this run when we know that he's not very good and he doesn't really have, I think, a long-term future in Milwaukee versus Sterling Brown, who, again, we kind of keep coming back to him. And um, hopefully he doesn't, you know, get a long run and just look awful because we've, <laughs> we've been talking him up as deserving a shot. But again, I mean, if you know that one guy doesn't work and you don't know that another guy, you know, another guy who in theory should be better and you just never give him a chance, that's kind of frustrating. And I think that's where a lot of our, our view of, uh, of, of Australian Brown comes back. But anyway, I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to add on that. No, I mean, I, I think it's, I think comments like that make me kind of think about the, the greater appeal and the, the, the idea of maybe our audience being very, very like-minded. And I think, I've thought about that, and uh, that comment certainly made me start to think about that a little bit. Are we a little bit 
too like-minded? Are, are we only thinking about stuff like that? And then I reminded myself that I don't think so. There, there's, I, I don't, I try not to really pick on minutes. I, I try not to pick on staggering patterns. I try not to do those things because um, I think we've seen in the past that it, it does, it's not really a fruitful discussion. It's, it, it can be more personal preference, but there are a couple types of distribution of minutes I will pick on. One, Gary Payton, two minutes. Any of them. <laughs> hamburger I will, Helper. You're I, not a fan of Hamburger Helper. I will nitpick them to death. And I, and I had this argument with someone uh, at the arena the other day in that he was curious, why do people? Why are people always complaining about GP2 starting when he's only going to play four minutes? And, I, and my argument is, well, he doesn't deserve four minutes. Like, <laughs> that's that would be where my head is at. Um, so I will continue to nitpick those minutes because if you're actively playing a guy that I don't think is an NBA player and you have guys that potentially might be NBA players, I'm going to nitpick that. It, even even if in that game that meant playing Rashad Vaughn 15 minutes instead of 11 minutes, that would have been the route I would have gone. Um, so I'll pick on those. And the other minutes distribution thing I'll pick on, Giannis and Middleton and Bledsoe playing too many minutes. Giannis is first in the league in minutes per game, I still believe. Chris Middleton is top five. Uh, Eric Bledsoe probably plays too many minutes for someone that has half of a meniscus. Um, like there's, there's just too many minutes on those guys. And, and I think uh, we've seen, and I think science will tell you that that is not a good thing for guys playing them too many minutes will increase the chance of them getting injured. So, um, I think, like I said, I think criticisms of us being too like-minded and uh, complaining about kid too much, like I think those are fair uh, because I think there certainly is times where we do, uh, where we are guilty of that. But um, as far as distribution of minutes goes, um, specifically in that podcast where we keep recapping the weekend, I won't back down on nitpicking Gary Payton two minutes, and I, and I never will. A couple more on Sterling Brown. So Sir Garvin asked, did Sterling Brown kick Jason Kidd's dog? Um, Spadcore asks, um, either of you heard kids aversion to Brown only heard good things and he doesn't have a true aversion to youth Brogdon maker last year, for example, really missing the OG and Anobi mispick Toronto and Boston thriving with their youth, their youth. Thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the frustrating that that's one of the, my frustrations this year is just, you know, seeing sort of like the bench being like the wasteland of, of bucks picks that aren't producing any value for the team. That's, that's pretty frustrating. Obviously, you know, last year we were probably spoiled with maker and Brogdon, you know, both starting in the playoffs and, you know, feeling like, wow, you were ending the year with both those guys kind of in, you know, ascendant roles for the team. Um, so I think certainly this year it's been disappointing seeing DJ Wilson completely unable to get on the court um, and seeing Sterling Brown, obviously it's kind of similar just not getting on the court, even when those guys have had seemingly no, uh, you know, no competition for for minutes, and um, so so that's tough. And Mister Mister Velted uh, Madsen four on four, he asked, "Where is DJ Wilson at his development? How have his practices been? What position does he primarily work on?" Um, I mean, it's tough to say. I mean, it seems like he's working more with the big men. Um, yeah. You know, Jason Kidd has alluded to when when they were short on centers that DJ Wilson would play some minutes. Um, you know, presumably at center as well, and. We really haven't seen him get minutes at all, um, even when in that Phoenix game when literally there was nobody else who was a power forward and he still didn't play. So, um, so I, again, I don't know. I mean, Jason Kidd has, as noted, I mean, he has played, you know, young players before. He doesn't have, you know, really proven guys that he's, you know, favoring over them right now. Um, you know, obviously Jet played a little bit here recently. Liggins has played a lot um, this season, but certainly neither of those guys, um, you know, should have some sort of, you know, loyalty to to always get minutes. Um, so, so I don't know. I mean, I think at some point, I'd like to think those guys' opportunity will come that they're going to get at least some shot to play. But certainly at this point, it's it's been pretty frustrating. I think for fans and also, you know, certainly for us to to not see those guys playing big minutes. And um, again, you know, you joked about it last night, or. Well, I think you're maybe too annoyed to be joking about it, but um, <laughs> you know, if we haven't seen those guys yet, I mean, what the hell needs to happen for those guys to actually get a shot to play? And um, again, we don't we don't get to see all the practices. You you see occasionally the ends of them, um, 
And uh, and eConniption did note to us how much value is there really in bringing Kevin Garnett for practices when he's teaching Sterling Brown how to perfect his turnaround jumper from the post. What actual positive do you think he brings other than being Palpatine to Giannis's Anakin? Um, so I know we're kind of jumping around a lot, but I, I did find that funny in Mad Blast because a story that KG was working with some different guy. I think he was. I think DJ Wilson was also a guy who worked with. He's Sterling on the Brown. young guys today. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so I agree. I'm not. Kevin Garnett's skill set doesn't necessarily align to to what Sterling Brown hopes to be in the future, um, and I agree. I, I don't need another yeah, – of all the things Sterling Brown could be working on with his game right now, um, post moves is probably furthest down the list. Uh, so hopefully if Sterling Brown gets some minutes, he doesn't fall into this trap of, oh, I'm going to work on my mid-range jumper first like Thon and you know maybe expand out from there. Um, if you're a wing, dude, you shoot some damn threes. Um, but, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if, uh, if, if any of that kind of plays out here over the next, you know, coming weeks. Um, I think when it comes to the rookies, DJ Wilson, I can see not playing, um, because I think he's a four or a five and you're going to give 30, I'm trying to think, I don't even know what Giannis's minutes are up to right now. 37 of the 48 minutes, uh, to Giannis at the four, I think between, Henson and Thon, you probably have one in Henson, a guy that you need to be effective, and two in uh, in Thon, a guy that you want to be effective and want to get minutes. So I kind of look at those center minutes as accounted for. So maybe there's maybe there's ten minutes in there, but that that ten minutes only exists now because Mirza Teletovic is hurt. And before that, I would have said those 10 minutes should go to, to Mirza all the time and maybe some other ones to Mirza uh, to play with Giannis as well. So um, for for DJ Wilson, I think it's more of a traffic jam. And obviously, I don't think you ever want to have a traffic jam stopping a guy that you drafted in the first round. You don't really ever want that to be the case. You want it to be the case that, okay, maybe he's so good that a guy like Mirza Teletovic isn't getting minutes. Uh, guys are getting pushed down because your first rounder is so good. Um, and that just hasn't been the case this year. The Sterling Brown stuff, I, I mean, I think the the reason I get so fired up about it is because, one, I think we've heard so much about him being a good fit. Um, and I think we've heard about all the good things that he does. We can see his three-point percentage from college. We can see his playmaking. Um, we can see that he can bring something defensively. He seems like the type of guy that can fit in at the two, maybe even at the three. And the two and three are positions where I don't think anyone has had a ton of a ton of confidence in the bench guys in those units. Obviously, Tony Snell is going to take up 30 of those minutes. Chris Middleton is going to take up 35 of those minutes. Um, but that that leaves some time every game. Uh, that leaves around 30-ish minutes every game that you need to fill. Um, and uh, I would have thought that Sterling Brown could have been uh, the guy to do some of that. Obviously, things get a little bit tougher when you have Bledsoe and Brogdon and Adeli and um, it, it's just kind of the same thing that you would hope those guys would get some chances and get a chance to push um, each of them, kind of some of those veterans down in the rotation, and uh, they just haven't gotten that chance. So uh, we'll have to see what those two do. Um, and then with the Garnett stuff, uh, it, it's, it was really strange to see him spending time with the young guys because I always thought, like, oh, these are these are kind of advanced classes that Kevin Garnett is teaching, and these are classes where he's trying to get guys that you think have high ceilings to their high ceilings. And um, I know we talked to Giannis a little bit after practice, and he was talking about how uh, this year he's understanding more of what KG is trying to explain, and that wasn't the case last year. Like There was times where he was kind of confused about some of the stuff, but now he's gotten to be a better player and gotten to work with KG more that he knows what he's talking about. So we only get to see the final... I mean, pretty much the shooting drills after practice. We don't get to see any of the actual five and five, any of the actual uh, stuff during practice. So I would assume during actual practice, he is spending all of his time on those guys. Um, so I, I would agree. I, Matt and I were joking about why I, on earth Sterling Brown would be working on mid-range jumpers and making post moves. Um, but largely it just kind of seemed to be a time where they wanted to let the young guys get some time with Kevin Garnett. And um, I know a bunch of people have asked, like, is there actually anything positive from Kevin Garnett doing that? And I would, or Kevin Garnett's time in walking, I think to me the big thing is 
one, it's a different voice. Like, 82-game schedule sucks. <laughs> You're going to hear it from the same guys. You're going to have them tell you the same things. They're going to try to teach you the same lessons. So um, having a different voice can be helpful. I think KG being around uh, a guy like Giannis can be really helpful. Um, and I just think there is value how you can try to uh, attempt to give that value to grade out that value how helpful it is um is it five percent uh is it five percent of the reason why Giannis had a great season last year and improved i don't probably not um is it greater than one percent i don't know maybe um is it greater than zero percent yeah i'd probably say it is um so i I don't know like i i can understand questioning how much any of this actually helps but at the same time like i I do think that having a different voice and certainly a hall of fame voice come in and try to help out some of the young guys can be really helpful so i think we're at a natural breaking point um should we should we hit the pause button here and and come back with part two we still got squad goals and roster and and some Giannis and random stuff to do let's um, do it okay why don't we do that and um we'll be back with with the rest of your questions uh tomorrow in which case and, and who knows maybe this maybe maybe i'm being optimistic saying this is a two-parter but i'll, <laughs> I'll at least say that for now all right uh that was frank i'm eric this has been locked on bucks we will do more of this mailbag tomorrow and we'll also have draft wednesday tomorrow and we'll also have a game preview for you uh, tomorrow as well as the Bucks will take on the Pelicans. We'll do all of that tomorrow on Lockdown Bucks. That's Frank. I'm Eric. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you then.